You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hey, before we get into the sermon, I want to just again remind uh, all of you uh, who were a part of last Monday night. Thank you for coming. We had a great, great turnout. I was very, very pleased with the turnout. We had a lot of great um, insights, people just kind of sharing uh, their insights from Nehemiah chapter one, a great prayer time. So I was so encouraged and I just again, want to encourage all of you again tomorrow night, 6.30 to 7.30, right here again. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter two. We're going to be looking at, you know, what uh, are the, parallels between what's happening in you know, Nehemiah chapter 2, what God is doing here uh, at Praise Community Church. It's going to be just an opportunity again for you to kind of just take some time to be meditating in that, just listening uh, you know, for God's voice. Again, if, if there's, you know, God gives you an exhortation, you can get up. If God has, uh, wants to use you in a way to pray, a specific prayer for the leadership, for the vision of the church, again, this is just an opportunity. We're in a 13-week um, time right now where we're going to be looking at each chapter um, of Nehemiah. So between now and tomorrow night, if you've not had a chance to do that, uh, just sit down. It's 20 verses, not very long. Again, Nehemiah chapter 2, be here tomorrow night. Bring a Bible, a journal uh, with you. Again, just because God is going to kind of start speaking some things, so we want you to have something uh, to write that down. So just a journal, uh, a Bible would be great. So I hope to see all of you here uh, tomorrow night right here at 6.30 again as we kind of just delve into chapter 2 of the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Big things really do come in small packages, and that is so true, especially when it comes to words. I think some of the most important, powerful, transforming, life-changing words are some of the smallest words in the English language. One of those words is kind of the word this guy was talking about in the video, and that is the word but. I want you to stop and think for a moment how that three-letter word can change an entire life, an entire perspective in just a moment. I want you to think about some of these sentences that have that little word in it. And I want you to recognize that how that little word changes the perspective. Yes, your daughter was in a terrible car accident, but she's going to be okay. Yes, there is a spot on your lung, but it's scar tissue. Yes, we have completed your tax returns, but the government owes you money. That's a good one. Yes, a tornado completely wiped out an entire town, but no one was injured. That little word, but, effectively says that whatever has just been spoken is about to be altered or undone. Whatever falls on the backside of that but, that is the ultimate reality, that is the ultimate truth. That word but is also kind of a great way to acknowledge a negative, but emphasize the positive. That wasn't your best effort, but I know you'll do better in the future. 
Okay, so you're really messed up there, but you can and you will learn from your mistake and move forward. I did that. Yes, I know this project is extremely difficult for you, but I know you can do it. This morning, we're going to begin a series called Yes, But. And the premise is nothing is ever over until God says it's over. Nothing is ever done until God says it is done. Nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing is beyond God's ability to use for his plans, his purposes, his glory. I'm going to offer up a few statements, and I want to see uh, if you agree with these statements. Life is not always fair. Agree? Yeah. Right does not always or instantly prevail. Agree? Yeah. Justice is not always done in this life. Things do not always go as planned. Agreed? Yeah. On a daily basis, right? Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Agreed? If you do the crime, you should do the time. Sometimes you get wronged for doing what is right, right? Agreed? Yes. No one ever wins the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Agreed? <laughs> I've never met anybody that's ever won that, so I'm, I'm kind of suspicious about that. For most every one of us here in this room this morning, at least one of those statements isn't a statement we just agree with. It may, be an ex it may be a statement you are in the midst of or you are experiencing right at this moment or it's something that you've experienced in the past. Yet, we're gonna learn that because of God, the sentence, the situation, the circumstance is not Finished. Whatever you're going through this morning, it is not done until you read what comes behind that little word, but. This morning, we're going to look at a man who time and time again paid the time even though he did not commit the crime. He is one of the most, his is one of the most unbelievable stories, probably in all of the Old Testament. Very few of us will ever, ever have to go through all of the wrong, terrible, bad, unjust, unfair things that were done to this man. Yet in the middle of it all, he could look at the people who were responsible for doing those horrible things to him, and in the midst of that, utter one of the most unbelievable statements in all the Bible. This single sentence kind of really sums up the story, the whole story of the Bible, beginning there in Genesis all through Revelation. And here it is from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. At the very beginning of the book of the Bible, we find this statement, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The one who uttered that statement is a man named Joseph. 
And I just kind of want to set up his story, and I'll just kind of give you the Reader's Digest version. The story begins when Joseph is about 17 years old. Joseph grows up in probably what is one of the most dysfunctional families in the history of the world. I mean, he probably, that they make the Kardashians look normal, okay? His father, Jacob, fathers 13 different children by four different mothers. Two were his wives, two were his mistresses. So Joseph, he's got 11 brothers, one sister, and 10 of those 11 brothers hated his guts because they were actually really his half-brothers. Joseph really only had one full brother born to him by the same mother, and that was his brother, Benjamin. Joseph's mother, Rachel, was his father's favorite woman. Joseph was the favorite son of the favorite woman. And to make matters worse, his dad gives him the best clothes, a coat of many colors. His dad makes him supervisor over his brothers and to top it all off, God gave Joseph a dream to let him know that one day his brothers, his father would all bow down to him and he would rule over them. Like most of us, Joseph couldn't keep it to himself. And when he told his brothers, that was kind of the last straw. At this point in Joseph's life, things really kind of begin to turn sour The brothers, his other brothers, had been sent off to do a job about 70 miles from home. One day, the father, Jacob, sends Joseph to check on his brothers to kind of see how they're doing. The brothers see Joseph kind of coming from afar off, and they kind of hatch this scheme to kill Joseph. However, one of the brothers, at the very last minute, gets cold feet, And they just decide to throw him into a pit until they could decide what to do with him. And about that time, a caravan of gypsies come by. They're headed to Egypt. And they sold their own brother to these human traffickers for 20 pieces of silver. Then they went home and they told their father, Jacob, that a wild animal had attacked and killed uh, Joseph. And they produced a torn, bloody coat as evidence And they convinced their dad he would never, ever see his favorite son again. Jacob is devastated. So Joseph eventually gets to Egypt, and he's sold to a man by the name of Potiphar, who's a very influential part of the Egyptian administration of Pharaoh, who's the ruler of Egypt. And Joseph does just a phenomenal job of managing uh, this man's plantation. He handles this man's affair with complete integrity. And unfortunately for Joseph, Potiphar was married to the original desperate housewife, and she takes a liking to young Joseph, and she tries to seduce him, but Joseph refuses. One day she goes so far as to try to grab him by the coat and to reel him in, and Jacob leaves the coat and flees. Jilted, she falsely accuses Joseph of rape and he's thrown into a prison where he stays for 13 years for something he did not do. So there's this portion of Joseph's life where he has gone from the pit to the plantation to the palace. And he hasn't done anything wrong. He goes from the penthouse to the jailhouse, but the story doesn't end there. 
While Joseph sits in prison, God sends Pharaoh some very troubling dreams that Pharaoh can't interpret. None of his people around him in his administration could interpret that. But because of a man Joseph meets in prison, this man remembers that Joseph has the ability because of his relationship with God to interpret dreams. And so Joseph is eventually brought before Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh the meaning of those dreams, telling him there's gonna be seven years of bumper crops followed by seven years of famine. And that famine is not just going to affect Egypt, it's going to affect all of the world. And Pharaoh hires Joseph immediately on the spot to be his prime minister, his right hand So during the seven years of plenty, Joseph comes up with a plan and he stores enough grain so that when the seven years of famine came, the nation of Egypt would be able to persevere. When that seven years of famine hit, it affects Joseph's family. They have no grain. They have no means of survival. They come to a point, if they as a family do not do something, they are going to starve to death. Jacob, Joseph's father, he hears that there is abundant grain in Egypt. So he sends the brothers with money and he says, you go to Egypt and I want you to purchase grain. So the brothers go to Egypt and they come. Inevitably, at some point, they come face to face with Joseph, but they do not recognize him. They do not know him at that point. And so here's this man, Joseph. He is face to face for the first time since this all happened with his brothers who caused him all this grief to begin with. His brothers had sold him to human traffickers. He became a slave in a rich man's house. He's falsely accused of rape and condemned without even a trial. He spends years in prison for something he did not do. For Joseph, life was not fair. Justice had not prevailed. He paid the time, but he didn't do the crime. And yet two words changed everything in Joseph's story, in Joseph's life, but God. But God entered in. And this God is doing for you, for you, and with you the same three things he did for Joseph that made all the difference. The first thing that God did for Joseph and he will do for you is God is achieving his plan in my life. Now, this was not the first time that Joseph had ever uttered those two words, but God, with his brothers. A few chapters earlier, when he and his brothers had first been reunited, and they were confronted by Joseph with all that they had done to him, Joseph said this twice to them, First in Genesis 45, verse 7, he says, but God sent me ahead of you. And then again in verse 8, he said, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Remember, all of this started when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery Joseph now comes to realize, you sold me, but God sent me. 
Again, those two words, but God, changed everything. Their plan was to eliminate Joseph. God's plan was to elevate Joseph. Their plan was to lower Joseph into a pit. God's plan was to elevate him onto a throne. Their plan was to desert Joseph. God's plan was to deliver Joseph. Their plan was to sell Joseph out. God's plan was to pick Joseph up. That is why Joseph could say to them in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I don't know what you've gone through in your life or what you may be going through right now. Some of you here this morning, you may have been treated very unfairly, or maybe there's unjust circumstances in your life. Maybe you've kind of been dealt a really bad hand. I don't know what you're going through, but here's what I do know. God is saying to you right now, everything is going according to my plan. Every time Joseph thought his life was over, God was just getting started. When God seems far away in your life, I want you to know God's standing right next to you. When you can't see God, he's moving. When you can't hear God, he's speaking. Understand, this verse does not say that all the things that have happened or are happening to you are good. Joseph's kidnapping, it was not good. His enslavement wasn't good. His false accusation of rape was not good. His imprisonment was not good. What you're going through right now may not be good. But what this verse says is that whatever's happening to you, what others may intend or mean or plan for evil, for harm, God will take it, he will use it, he will turn it for good because that is God's plan for every life. God never has to say when he is looking at the events unfolding in your life, well, that wasn't in the script. Boy, I didn't see that one coming. You'll never hear God say that. With God, everything is in the script. God saw everything happening in your life. He saw it coming before there was ever time. In the movie of your life, folks, there's gonna be valleys There are going to be deserts. There are going to be bad times and bad things. But when the movie ends, all of it is going to be for your good and his glory. Your heavenly father never has to go to plan B because his plan, plan A, will always work out. It will always work out for good regardless of anyone else's intent. I am walking proof of that. There are mainly three things that God uses to achieve his plans in our lives, pains, problems, and people. Let's face it, both people 
And problems can be a pain in the neck or other places. But even the bad things of life are a part of God's plan for good in your life. Let's state the obvious. God could have prevented those brothers from throwing Joseph into a pit. God could have intervened and prevented those brothers from selling him into slavery. God could have intervened and prevented Joseph from being falsely accused. God could have prevented Joseph from being unjustly, unfairly thrown into that prison. But here's the hard part to understand and accept sometimes. All of that was a part of God's plan. One of the things that will keep you from bitterness and revenge in your life when others hurt you and harm you and leave you holding the bag is this. No matter what is done to you, only God can and will use it for your good, his glory. The second thing God did for Joseph and he will do for you is God is accomplishing his purpose for my life. Understand something about God's plan for your life. It was not drawn up just last night. God is not kind of just thinking on the fly here. God doesn't have to improvise or adjust. God's plan for you and me are wrapped around the purpose he has, not just for you and me, but for the entire world before the world was ever created. Let me say that again. Some of you need to hear this. God's plan for you and me are wrapped around the purpose he has, not just for you and me. There's a bigger plan here at work. And that is a plan that may and will affect the entire world and that plan came into being before there was ever time. God's plan is always in accordance with his purpose. There's a method to God's madness. God always has a purpose, a plan in everything he does, in everything he allows. God's not only um, God not only has his plans he wants to achieve, he has his purposes he wants to accomplish. So here's the thing, God doesn't react when things go wrong in your life. God doesn't react to anything. God acts before everything. God is funneling, he's channeling, he's directing everything that happens in you and me to make sure that at the end of the day, his plans, his purpose is accomplished. It took Joseph 23 years to finally figure out and to understand what God's purpose for his life was. How many years will it take you Listen to the last part of that verse again there in Genesis 50, 20. But God intended, planned, purposed it for good to accomplish, to bring forth what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, what lives is Joseph referring to there? Who needed to be saved? 
Earlier, he said this to his brothers in Genesis 45, 7. He said, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant upon the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. What was Joseph referring to? Who was he talking about? Again, he's not just talking about his brothers. He's referring to the seeds of the nation of Israel that needed to be planted so that God's purposes, his overarching great plan and purpose for the world to send a son, a savior, could be fulfilled. It could be accomplished. You see, there was a seven-year worldwide famine. Had God not put Joseph in the position he was, the entire family of Joseph would have starved to death. Remember, Joseph's family, those sons went on to become the tribes of Israel. Those seeds needed to be planted so that God could harvest and bring forth the nation of Israel so that through Israel, God could send the Savior of the world. In Joseph's life, there was a much, much, much bigger plan and purpose at play, and Joseph had no idea what it was, but God knew. Think about this. If his brothers hadn't sold him into slavery, he wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. If he wouldn't have ended up in Egypt, there's no Israel. If there's no Israel, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there's no Savior. There's no salvation for the entire world. Joseph didn't know what God was doing, but God knew what God was doing. Every day on the chessboard of Joseph's life, God is moving strategically the pieces around to make his ultimate plans and purposes be accomplished. And it wasn't just for Joseph. It wasn't just for his brothers. It was for the entire world. God is doing that in your story as well. Joseph didn't know one day that there was gonna be a famine that would have the potential to wipe out and destroy his family. He didn't know that part of God's plan. He didn't know that part of God's purpose was to put him in a position of such power that he could just, that he could save not just the nation of Israel, but more importantly, also to save the family that would give way to the nation of Israel, that would give way to the savior of the world. Again, Joseph didn't have a clue But God had a purpose for that pit. God had a plan for that plantation of Potiphar's. God had a purpose for that prison. And all of it was so that Joseph could eventually rise one day and be put in a palace where he would have the power and the authority to save a family, to save a nation, and ultimately save the world. Every time Joseph was put where he did not want to be, it was right where God wanted and needed him to be because God had a bigger purpose. God had a bigger plan in play. God had bigger fish to fry than just the momentary difficulties in Joseph's life. He had a purpose. He had a plan. And things went exactly according to God's plan. The same is true of you, Claudia, and your family. There is a purpose. There is a plan. Not all of it is good, 
but God is going to take all of it and he's going to bring good from it. And you're going to look one day back and you're going to see the hand, you're going to see the fingerprint of God and you will say, that was the reason for this. Yes. And it's coming. And one day you'll stand up here and you'll tell us what that plan, that purpose was and we'll rejoice with you. God's plan is bigger than you. And it is bigger than your plan for you. Some of you think you're really ambitious. <laughs> you haven't seen ambitious until you see God's plan for you. Things do not, will not, never have, never will happen by coincidence. They happen by providence. They happen because God wants it to happen the way it's happening. If you're going through a difficult time in your life right now, remember this from Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will. Not might, not may, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for you. He will fulfill that purpose the third thing that God did for Joseph, he's going to do for you, is God is affirming his promise in my life. God brings Joseph kind of to the pinnacle of this mountain. He's at the pinnacle of his professional life. He's the prime minister of Egypt. His father, his brothers, a whole nation answers to him. And it didn't just happen that way. It had to happen that way. Do you know why? Several chapters earlier, we read about this as Joseph standing before his brothers. Genesis 42.9 says, then Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Joseph remembers his dreams about his brothers. It was that dream that God gave him that all of his brothers, his father, in fact, an entire nation would bow at his feet and he would rule over them. You see, God is just keeping his promise. Before Joseph was even born, God made a promise to his granddaddy, Abraham, and he promised Abraham that out of him is gonna come forth a mighty nation. And he said that that nation is ultimately going to be the source of the salvation of the world. When God makes a promise, he keeps that promise even after you are long dead and gone. God is not just in the promise-making business. God is in the promise-keeping business. Everything that happened to Joseph happened because God was keeping his promise. Everything that's happening to you is happening because God is about keeping his promises. There's not a greater promise in the Bible than this one, Romans 8, 28, and we know. And we know. Some translations say, and we are confident that in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wanted, the unwanted, the fair, the unfair, the righteous, the unrighteous, all things God works. He turns it. He fashions it for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The same God that kept his promise to Joseph will keep his promise to us. 
The same God that was controlling every part of Joseph's life is controlling every part of ours. He is still in the good grief business. And you're going to be treated unfairly. Might as well accept it. You're going to experience injustice. You're going to be wronged even when you try to do what is right. You're going to be left holding the short end of the stick, but the presence of problems never means the absence of God. The presence of problems never means the absence of God. When people are doing their worst to you, God is doing his best for you. When people are doing you wrong, God's taken all of it and he's beginning to turn it for right, for good. Nothing happens to any of us by random chance. Nothing happens to you because of bad luck. It's not coincidence. It's not the luck of the draw. It's not that you happen to be in the right place at the right time. God is in control of everything and everyone, and God is sovereign. You're never, ever the victim of your circumstances. You'll ultimately be a victor over your circumstances because God's promise is to take it all and to work it for your good. There's nothing random about your life. There's nothing accidental about your life. I don't care what your parents' intent was. There's nothing accidental about your life. There's nothing accidental about you being here this morning. This is all a part of God's plan. There's not one renegade molecule in the entire universe doing what it wants to do on its own. Because of the plan of God, because of the providence of God and the promise of God, every circumstance, every experience of your life, it is fitting into, it is a part of God's plan for you, for the world, for the universe, for eternity. Listen, God controls everything and everyone. God not only controls the orbits of the planet and the movement of the galaxies, but the clocks and the movements of my life, of your life. He controls your friends, he controls your family, and he controls your foes. It's one thing to take what is good and to make it better, but it's another thing to take what is better and make it best. God takes what is bad and he makes it good. No matter how much you think your life looks like and is out of control, mark it down. God is in control and everything is working out perfectly in accordance with God's plan for your life. Again, this verse does not say that all things are good. Not everything that's happening in your life is wonderful. Kidnapping, racism, cheating, lying, divorce, incest, murder, they're all bad things. There are a lot of bad things that will go into and affect the puzzle of your life, but when the puzzle is completed, it won't spell bad, it'll spell good. If you don't believe that still, I give you the greatest proof of all, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. When humanity was doing its worst to God the Son, on the cross, God the Father was doing his best for the human race. Didn't look like that at the time. 
What was intended for evil against Jesus, God took it and he used it for the greatest good of mankind. I close with this story. A Jewish rabbi sent a telegram to Albert Einstein one time and asked him if he believed in God. Here's how Einstein replied. He said, I believe in a God who reveals himself in the orderly harmony of what exists. In other words, the sun rises, the sun sets. He said, not in a God who concerns himself with the fates and actions of human beings. I want you to know that that God there that Einstein is describing, it is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, or the Bible. The God of the Bible, our heavenly Father, who created us and put us here in this time, in this place, is completely in control of the fates and the actions of every human being. We've all heard the saying, the devil is in the details. That is completely and totally false. God is in the details. God is in every detail, no matter how minute that detail seems. God is in the details. He is in control, and he's working it all to bring you to a place where it is good, it is well, and I'm glad he is, and I hope you are too. Let's stand together and pray. Father, again, we recognize your sovereignty. This morning, Father, we recognize your providence. You know all things, that God, there's, there's nothing that is beyond you. There's no one or no thing that is beyond you this morning, that God, you see it, you know it all. And God, no matter the circumstances, the situation of our lives, no matter the things that are done beyond our control this morning, none of it is beyond your control. You're using all of it. Regardless of its intent, you're using all of it to bring out good and to cause your glory to be seen. So Father, like Joseph this morning, God, we want to recognize, we want to begin to walk more and more in the fullness of the reality of who you are, of what you're doing, God. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, that God, there will come a place in us as there came a place in Joseph, as there came a place in Jesus, Father, where we will simply surrender and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Not my plans, your plans, not my purposes, your purposes will be done. And so Father, we yield our lives, we yield our hearts to you. And we thank you for all things that are going on, all things that are happening, even the bad, the difficult things. We thank you for that because we know that you're committed to taking all of that and using it for good in our lives and again, for your glory. So Father, we recognize that. We yield. We surrender ourselves to that. And we thank you for all of the evidence and scripture that you've given to us that reaffirms that point 
and the cross of Jesus Christ being the greatest example of how you can take the most evil and bring from it the greatest good. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to just again end with a time of communion. Again, it's just, this is God's will. It was his purpose. It was his plan that Jesus would come among many things that he would allow his body to be crucified, allow his body to be broken, allow his blood to be shed so that we could experience forgiveness, healing, wholeness. And so this morning, again, we're just recognizing, we're thanking God for his perfect plan. That, that wasn't just a perfect plan for Jesus, it was a perfect plan for all of creation. And so this morning, we're just gonna come, and we're just gonna again celebrate God's wisdom. That God knew what he was doing through the cross. And God knows what he's doing in your life. And this morning again, is just a recognition, just a surrendering, a thanking and a celebrating the sovereignty and the goodness, the mercy and the faithfulness of God. As soon as you're finished with that, if you would just like to be prayed for uh, this morning, there will be people here we'd love uh, to pray for you. Maybe you're in just a really challenging place this morning. Maybe you're in a really difficult spot. And maybe it's really hard for you this morning to really embrace what it is I'm talking about. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Just again, to come alongside, to stand in agreement with you that God is working whatever it is for his good. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.